also. As we return to settling the mind in its natural state, let's return briefly to the theme of this microcosm, macrocosm, or facsimiles, that is, shamatha being facsimile of something much, much deeper. And let's compare and contrast this method with that of mindfulness of breathing, which is a classic, as I've been teaching, a classic Theravada method for achieving shamatha, for achieving access to the first jhana, for allowing your coarse mind to dissolve into bhavanga. The path is very linear, and that is, it is moving from the desire realm to the form realm, from the coarse mind to the bhavanga, and it's using the dualistic mind as your vehicle, quite clearly, right? Because when you're focusing on the preliminary sign, this is a tactile sensation, that's in the desire realm, okay? So that'll start you, but it won't finish you. So you're attending to that. There is a vector to your attention. You're attending to that dualistic mind. You've dropped your anchor in the sense field, desire realm, for as long as it's useful, until the acquired sign comes up. The acquired sign is no longer in the five physical senses. It's now in the mental, which is where you need to be. But you're still attending to it, of course, with coarse mind. And then you follow that. That becomes your target. That becomes your meditative object. Until that acquired sign, as it were, breaks apart and the counterpart sign emerging from the forum arises. But as Buddhaghosa states, when it first arises, the chances of being able to sustain your awareness of that counterpart sign, which is a hundred, nay, a thousand times more subtle than the acquired sign, the chances of being able to sustain that are very remote. Most likely you'll be the little, like the little toddler who rises up to meet it and then falls back on your bum. And where you fall back onto or into is your bhavanga. And congratulations, you've just achieved shamatha, access to first jhana, on the threshold of the form realm. And how is this bhavanga, this ground of becoming, how is it described? This brightly shining mind, which in Mahayana context is translated as clear light mind. Oh. One that is by nature pure. That sounds familiar. One that is temporarily adventitiously covered by obscurations which come and go. That sounds familiar too. Right? It sounds a lot like Nirvana. It sounds a lot like Buddha nature. Dhammakaya, Rikpa. And it's not. So, notions of Rikpa, Buddha nature and so forth, you don't find in the Theravada tradition. It's nowhere there. But from the Pali canon, we do find these phrases by nature originally pure, of the nature of clear light, temporarily obscured by adventitious obscurations such as the five obscurations or the five hindrances which come and go. And so, in terms of interpretation, what dimension of consciousness do they say fits that description? Well, bhavanga. Okay? So, a facsimile of achieving nirvana and it's a straight trajectory from samsara to nirvana, from your sikhsara, your samsaric mind, immersed in the desire realm, going to the acquired sign, still a dualistic mind, until that dualistic mind dissolves with all of the javana, the activities of that dualistic mind, dissolve into bhavanga. And you have a little facsimile of achieving nirvana. And if you didn't know better, you might actually think you've achieved nirvana. With good reason, but you're still wrong. So there's one trajectory, very much a kind of a classical strategy for a Theravada Buddhist monk. 
Because if you're practicing mindfulness of breathing, you want a really quiet environment. You want a really simple lifestyle. You don't want to be involved in any sensual activities, or as little as possible. Really straight monk in a quiet environment, in a monastery, in a hermitage. Bam! Go from samsara to nirvana. Go from desire realm to forum realm, the facsimile. From your coarse mind to the bhavanga. So there's one strategy. Very good if you're a monk or a nun, of course. So there's one strategy. And such a facsimile from going from samsara to nirvana. right? And could be mistaken for that if you didn't know better. Now we come to today's practice, which we come to for the third time in this cycle, settling the mind in its natural state. And now, if we should find a template, a way of life that would be really close to this one, it would be, maybe I'm, I hope I'm not going out too much on a limb here, more like a lay bodhisattva living in the world but proceeding to enlightenment. In the sense that, when you're settling the mind in its natural state, you're resting there in stillness, in the midst of the activities of the mind, as a great bodhisattva, like Vimalakirti, as a lay person, lay bodhisattva, living in the world. I believe, can't remember, I think he had a wife. He was certainly a lay person involved in socially engaged way of life and an Arya bodhisattva. Right? So on the one hand, he's touching there to nirvana. He's touching nirvana. But he's not immersed in it. On the other hand, he's totally engaged with the world around him, seeming quite ordinary. He's a lay person. Right? So outside seeming kind of ordinary. Engaged with samsara, but not sucked up into it. Tapping into his realization of nirvana, but not absorbed in it. Holding the two in balance. Sound familiar? Settling the mind in this natural state, where your awareness is still. Without preference for the delicious stillness of the mind, when there's no contents, no thoughts, just the vacuity, the substrate. The Dhammadhatu, the relative Dhammadhatu. But no preference either to keep the mind active. No clinging, no grasping to the activities of the mind. Oh, give me some more images. I want some more, I want some more activity here. Where are those bashful maidens? Bring them back. Bashful maidens, come on, let's dance. Neither clinging nor craving me, either one, attending to both, but equally, as of one taste, without preference for the type of phenomena that come up. Happy thoughts, unhappy thoughts, and so forth, coarse, subtle, and so forth, attending to them, attending to them all with an awareness that does not move, that is non-preferential, that sees simultaneously the stillness and the vacuity of this dhammadhatu, this relative dhammadhatu, this substrate, simultaneously perceives the stillness of that space of the mind while also perceiving the activities that arise from and dissolve back into that space, seeing them as one nature, because really one is just emerging, emerging from the other. One is of the nature of the other. The appearances of the mind are simply configurations of the space of the mind. They're not something else added on, right? Merging out of that space, dissolving back into that space. And attending all of that with one taste, one taste perspective. No preference, no grasping, but also no distraction. And where does that culminate? Where, do, where does that finally lead to? Of course, we start with dualistic mind. We don't have much choice there. But gradually, gradually, this, this coarse mind gets subtler and subtler, 
gradually, gradually, the contents, the thoughts, images, memories, and so forth, arising in the space of the mind, they subside, they subside, they subside, until there's an extinction, a vanishing of all those appearances into the substrate. And there's an extinction of your coarse dualistic mind into the substrate consciousness. So at least one of you here has studied and practiced Dzogchen quite extensively. Maybe more, but I mean, I know one has. What is the culmination of the direct crossing over, the final phase, of the final phase of Dzogchen practice? It's called extinction into Dhammata, or ultimate reality, where all impure appearances all impure appearances of the whole spectrum of samsara, all impure appearances dissolve into dhammata. It's another word for dhammadatu, the absolute space of phenomena. And of course, all coarse mind, all samsaric mind, dissolves into dharmakaya. And welcome to Buddhahood. Facsimile, powerful facsimile, a faint facsimile. But your coarse mind has dissolved into substrate consciousness. All appearances to the coarse mind have dissolved into substrate. There is an extinction into not ultimate reality, an extinction into alaya, an extinction into alaya vijnana. All appearances into the alaya, the substrate, and all of the coarse dualistic mind dissolving into the alaivijnana, substrate consciousness. So, one is really quite a powerful facsimile of something immeasurably vaster, deeper, more transformative, but still along the trajectory. So, as you anticipate now that we're already more than one quarter of the way through this eight-week retreat, some of you will be anticipating going back to active ways of life. A few of you may have the opportunity to go continue in full-time retreat great. But for those especially who are anticipating going back to a socially engaged way of life, sometimes mindfulness of breathing can be a bit difficult. It's noisy. Dogs barking, telephone ringing, other people in the house, activities, interruptions, the whole world arising as your enemy. Why don't you all just shut up? Can't you be quiet? I'm a serious meditator here. For the sake of all sentient beings, I'm trying to achieve shamatha and you're in the way. Can't you just be quiet forever? So it can really set you, how do you say, in friction with children, spouses, neighbors, country, politics, the planet. Because most of the people in the planet are not practicing shamatha. So that can set you somehow, it can grate, as if you're some Theravada Buddhist monk living in downtown Manhattan and saying, shh, it doesn't work so well. Whereas if you're in a socially engaged way of life, actively involved in the world, and when you have time for formal practice, you're settling your mind in this natural state, and there are jackhammers out there. And there's a child yelling over here. And the television goes on over there. And the, tele- the re- telephone rings over there and somebody's talking in the next room. 
Well, all of that's not very interesting. And so with selective attention, you focus in as whatever's happening in your environment, whatever impressions are impinging upon your mind from your five physical senses, you focus single-pointedly on the domain of the mind and you simply watch what are the emotions, the desires, the thoughts, the memories, the anticipations. So the environment is just catalyzing stuff arising in your mind and your only interest is what's arising in the space of the mind and you attend to it without preference, without distraction, without grasping. So even in the midst of the world, settling the mind can work very well if you've developed the ability. If you haven't, tough luck. So the practice, the dimension of the practice will venture into today, a repeat, of course, of the first cycle, is going to be spending some portion of the session very deliberately focusing on the background. Again, like a lens on a camera. You can focus on the foreground. That's the thoughts, images, the activities coming up, the appearances coming up. Or you can focus on the background. You rotate that lens and you go back back to the background. The space that is most evident between thoughts. The space that is always there, out of which the thoughts, the images and so forth emerge, in which they are present into which they sooner or later do dissolve. So you can focus foreground, you can focus background. There's no, I'm not teaching here another fourth method of focusing on the space of the mind. I'm not teaching that. But I am highlighting this in this one session of settling the mind into natural state. We'll spend five or ten minutes focusing now, focus on the background. Not as a separate technique, but just to make sure that when you are doing the full practice, of settling the mind in its natural state, that you're never left with no object, never left with, I'm waiting, nothing to know, there are no thoughts, all the bashful maidens have disappeared, the cockroaches have gone under the refrigerator, I'm waiting, but I have nothing to practice, because there's nothing to see. Yes, there is. The something to see is the space of the mind, which is not nothing. It's not a mere absence. It's a something. It's a space of the mind. And so to develop the acuity of your attention, that when all that's there is the space of the mind, you still know something. You know the space of the mind. That you're not now devoid of something to know, but you are knowing something, and that is the space of the mind. And as soon as something appears in it, then you're aware of that too. But when there's nothing you can discern, you still know the space of the mind. So that's it. When you can maintain an ongoing flow of knowing, both when there are specific contents arising in the mind and when there seem to be none, and all the way through you are knowing, 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 then you are practicing the practice, engaging in the practice fully. If you're knowing something only when there are distinct contents, then your practice is sporadic, on again, off again. Not good enough. It's very much like, as a parallel, attending to the sensations of the breath at the nostrils, But even if on occasion you can't detect the passage, you should still be able to detect the background radiation, the sensations that are there even when the breath isn't flowing out, in and out. You have something to touch, something to know, even when the breath gets so subtle that on occasion you can't detect it. And keeping that target and then looking more closely, then you'll be able, as you enhance the vividness, the high resolution of your attention, you'll be able to detect those very, very subtle sensations of the in and out flow of the breath and thereby re-engage, 
with the practice and carry on along the path of shamatha by way of mindfulness of breathing. So that'll be our, our practice this, this session. Focus on the foreground, focusing on the background, and then just go three-dimensional. The culmination is three-dimensional. Whereas you're attending single-pointedly to the space of the mind and its contents without preference. That as soon as there's content, you ascertain it. When you cannot detect any content, you still ascertain something, and that's the space of the mind, and then you may attend a bit more closely. Because in all likelihood, there's something happening in that space that you haven't detected yet. Because it was subtler than your awareness was. So enhance, enhance the resolution of your attention, and you may start discovering things that were just beyond the threshold of your consciousness and now are within the threshold of your consciousness because you enhanced the temporal and qualitative vividness of your attention. Temporal will be able to detect very fleeting events. They just just flicker up and then are gone. And qualitative vividness, you'll be able to detect the quiet murmurings of the mind that may linger for seconds, but are normally so subtle, you're not even aware that they're happening at all. In other words, you are venturing into the subconscious by becoming more conscious. And there's less sub. Hola, so. I hope you're enjoying this practice as much as I do, because it's really radically cool. Isn't it, Anala? It's amazing. Just amazing. And the repercussions, the reflections up there, up in the, on the highest level of Dzogchen? Emaho. Hola, so. Find a comfortable seat and fasten your seatbelt. Anna can show you. She's got a really good seatbelt. The great Tibetan yogi Milareva said, hasten slowly, with no time to waste, no time to dawdle away or time to kill. Immediately launch into the practice. Do so slowly as you settle your body in its natural state. Your respiration in its natural rhythm. And calm the rambunctious mind with mindfulness of breathing.
first with full body awareness. As if your body were a seed syllable, attend to the whole syllable, the whole form, the whole space. Dissolving all other appearances into this one field of the body. and more narrowly focus the attention as if you were dissolving the appearances of the body into one bandwidth. The sensations of the rise and fall of the abdomen. Let that be your world. Everything dissolved into those tactile sensations. Now elevate and dissolve even more firmly to the bead, the very tiny target of the sensations of the in and out flow of the breath at the tip of the nostrils. Let this now be your world, all appearances vanishing into this point. A bindu of tactile sensation. Your world becomes a point. And let your eyes be at least partially open, your gaze vacantly resting in the space in front of you. And dissolve that point into the space of your mind. Directing the full force of your attention to the space of the mind and whatever arises within it.
and attend first of all to the foreground, the distinct, observable events that come and go, the thoughts, the images, and also the more subjective impulses of emotions and desires. Observe their nature without modifying them. Sustain your mindfulness without distraction, without grasping.
And now shift to the background, especially during the intervals between thoughts, between appearances, in this space of the mind. Observe very closely as you heighten the vividness of your attention. And observe and know that space, know its characteristics. When thoughts and images arise, know them as well. But for a little while, let your primary focus and interest be on these space-time intervals between thoughts.
and for the remainder of the session maintain an even flow of mindfulness, a three-dimensional focus on the space of the mind and whatever arises within it, maintaining an ongoing flow of knowing, simply, quietly, non-conceptually, without evaluation, observing the nature of whatever arises, monitoring the flow of mindfulness with introspection, and to the best of your ability, maintaining continuity of mindfulness without distraction, without grasping. And let's continue practicing now in silence.
Olasana. Between sessions, cognitively engage in whatever mindfulness practice you find most helpful to maintain continuity. From the heart, maintain the four measurements. And you've got a very full practice. Also, enjoy your day.